Welcome back. It's Sunday, June 6th, 2021, and you are listening to OWC Radio. I'm Serena Catania, and today my guest is Michael Cioni. Michael is the Global Senior Vice President of Innovation at Frame.io, and we're speaking with him today about their camera-to-cloud technology, which exceeded all my hopes and dreams for solutions to remote collaboration. Crews are now using, thanks to the folks at Frame.io, the very latest innovations available today. A bit of background on Michael. He specializes in workflow technologies for the cinema space and has won four National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences Emmys. I first met Michael years ago and followed his success through early days to Lightiron and its acquisition by Paramount in 2015. He was working as Senior VP of Innovation there when Frame.io snagged him and brought him over to serve as the key executive for the development of Camera to Cloud. If you know me, you know that I'm incredibly skeptical of the cloud for many reasons, but Michael has managed to change my mind. Yep, a woman changes her mind. Is that possible? Listen in and you'll see why. Michael, I've been bragging about you at the beginning of the show, and here you are. I'm so happy you're with us. I want to talk to you today about Camera to Cloud, Frame.io, Post Houses of the Future, where we're going. I think this is going to be awesome. It's always fun talking with you. So welcome. Thank you for having me. And like you said, we've known each other for years and been doing this a long time. So I'm always happy to be back with you and always happy to talk to the listeners where we want the feedback because what we're going to talk about today involves everybody. So we're looking forward to more communication with the community. It does. I think uh, when you announced it, there was an immediate reaction in the industry about what you had presented. And we'll get into the details. But I think that there is a huge just a huge audience for this in media producers worldwide, no matter what you're in. I think you really are going to change the future. But for people who don't know, what is Frame.io and what is Camera to Cloud? Frame.io is an online review and approval database. It's the most popular professional review and approval tool in the world. We have over a million people uploading millions of assets a day into the platform and sharing them and reviewing them and marking them and, and delivering them. And it's a really interactive space, professional video sharing and collaboration in the cloud. Camera to Cloud is now a new feature set of Frame.io where we can actually have people on the set in the field and shooting directly into Frame.io so that you can have access to everything you're doing, even deliver it right to an editor while it's still being shot in process. Shoot directly to Frame.io. You make it sound easy. I know this didn't happen overnight. How long have you been working on this in the background? The answer is about 10 years. A good friend of mine, Laura Persley, said after we announced it, she goes, you've been working on this for 10 years. And she's like, this is your life's work. You've been gunning for this for a decade. And uh, when she said that, I kind of like uh, released a lot because I think she's right. But essentially, this technology is not something Frame.io didn't invent the idea of Camera to Cloud. It, we're not the first people to whisper it into the market. There's a lot of people that have been trying it, and I tried it a decade ago. But the infrastructure wasn't there. 
right? And the way to make it work and, and the way to make it scalable and easy wasn't there. We didn't have things like AWS 10 years ago. 4G was brand new. Remember, smartphones were new 10 years ago and we didn't have ways to leverage LTE networks. Even home Wi-Fi was far weaker than it is today or business Wi-Fi. So these are all elements of evolution that had to take place in order to set the stage for a direct camera and audio to post-production relationship to occur. And now that that stage is set, we're at the very beginning of turning it into a total industry standard. When you made the announcement, you had a union crew and it was tailored towards large theatrical productions. But I'm thinking there's a lot of other companies that could use this, too. Have you thought about introducing this to like news or independence or I don't know? What do you think? Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, I guess the question is, who is this for? Right. And the answer is everyone. It's for everyone. If you think about it, when we take out our smartphone, we are doing camera to cloud and audio to cloud every single day because we take out our phone, we see a picture, we see a moment and we shoot a video or we shoot a still. Then we bring it in and we edit it real quick in the palm of our hand. And then we share that to our social media chain. And what you basically do when you do that is you shoot and you edit, you do post-production, and then you distribute, and you're a studio. And on a small scale, billions of people a day are shooting, they're editing, and they're sharing, they're distributing. Now, if we can do that in our personal lives, why can't we do that in our professional ones? And so the infrastructure for shoot, look, share, or camera to cloud, or audio to cloud is already in the social media world, and now we have the opportunity to start doing it to the professional one. So while we demonstrated this with union crews, we wanna demonstrate this works in a very large infrastructure when you have separate audio and separate sound in multiple cameras and you're dealing with multiple departments and multiple editors on multiple platforms. That was our intention is to show that it can have the width to handle a large studio production style but it's always scalable. Once you can handle that, it's easy to pare it down and scale it down. So that's sort of the idea of where we want to take it to. We want this to be a tool for TikTokers as much as we want it to be for OTT studios. Yeah, I, I mean, I think independent production has become so much more sophisticated than it was a few years ago. So a lot of what you were talking about in the demonstration and by the way, those of you listening, if you have not seen it, it's on YouTube. Just search YouTube for Frame.io Camera to Cloud. We'll give you this again at the end of the show today. But you can go to Camera to Cloud. You can see the full demonstration in all detail of exactly how it worked. But I do want to unpack it a little bit for our audience as well. So what cameras at the moment does this work with? At the moment, this starts with SDI cameras, cameras that have a BNC SDI port on them. And so basically the entire red fleet of cameras, the entire airy fleet of cameras, we now have Canon and Sony and Panasonic SDI cameras. And so the objective is to start with SDI because SDI is a protocol that has certain rules that people follow. And if you follow those rules, you can take that protocol and it's easy to implement basically the same result in the cloud. 
what people obviously want is they want to include other cameras that don't have SDI and we want to do that too, but those are using HDMI. And so with an HDMI camera, there are different sets of rules and expectations and standards for how to make that communication work. And obviously the amount of cameras that have HDMI outputs versus SDI is significantly disproportionate. And so there's a lot heavier lift to get all the HDMI cameras to work this way. Remember, this is brand new stuff. I mean, there really isn't a way to do this. And so we're sort of building the bridge that we're standing on, but all the manufacturers have been super engaging and they recognize it now and they see the opportunity and everybody wants what I can do on Facebook or Instagram on my phone. They want that in every camera, which is why ultimately this will touch everyone. But to start, we're fixing everything with SDI cameras first, and then we'll expand it into the rest of the ecosystem. Yeah, I'm being selfish. One of my films is sponsored by Blackmagic, so I'm hoping we'll get there very soon. We want Blackmagic more than anyone, honestly. And so the Blackmagic company is so important to the industry. And we basically have to have the same basic protocols for SDI outputs or HDMI outputs to basically allow for the technology to have a ubiquitous language for transmission. Okay, so unpack this. We're talking about the cameras. Now let's talk about what equipment you need for audio to record. And then and then I want to go into the actual workflow on the set a little bit. Well, the cameras connect into a box made by the company Teradek called a Cube, and the model is 655. That's the model. I think it also works with the 605, and there's a couple models in the 6 series that works with Cube. So you connect your SDI camera output to a Cube input, and the Cube authenticates to the internet and Frame.io, and every time you hit record, it publishes that take. I'm actually doing it right now. What people are seeing right now is a red camera, a Helium, connected to a Cube, and that Cube is connected to Frame.io, and when I hit cut, it will publish that file automatically to Frame.io so Serena can post it later. When it comes to audio... By the way, everybody listening, I was laughing with Michael right before we started because, of course, he has a Helium camera. <laughs> I mean, the Helium camera is like the top of the line. It's great. And, and I'm recording this on a Brio webcam. Okay, you're on the Helium. You're recording to Frame.io. We were about to talk about audio before I interrupted. Yeah, so with audio, you can either run a scratch track into the cube, so you get audio automatically synced to it. If your cameras have mics on them, you can tell the cube to just receive the audio through the SDI. So you can have audio from a mic on the camera passed into the cube. If you're doing dual system audio and you record with a separate system, the first, and today only, but the first company to have an internet connection in their field recorder is Sound Devices. They have a new series called the 8 Series. There's two models. The 888 and the Scorpio, and those are field recorders. The 888 is an exceptionally high quality field recorder. I mean, this is like top of the line audio quality, audio noise reduction, cleanliness, multi-channel, very, very high-end control. And what you do is you record your sound and every time you hit cut, it publishes that audio to Frame.io. So you can still record it locally on the device, but in the background, when you're rolling the next take or the next interview, it's publishing the previous take or the previous interview to Frame.io so everyone has access to it. And then you can either sync the audio later in post, you get picture and sound, you can sync it in Frame.io. We have a beta out for automatic audio video syncing or you can run that audio into the cube and it's already synced for you. So there's a lot of variations. But I think what's most important to think about that is if you think about history, when there's a technological development in our industry, it always happens to audio first. Now, why is that? 
Well, the number one reason you could probably guess is because audio files on average are smaller than video files. So when nonlinear editing came out, it actually was easier for the audio systems to do it before picture. When audio mixing, when, when, when online finishing mixing came out, uh, it was easier to do a finishing audio mixing than it was to do video mixing. Video mixing would be called color correction, right? Like that was still on tape when audio was on drives. When it came to transmission, through the web, it was easier to stream radio stations and audio and music before they could stream video and pictures. And so things happen to audio first before they happen to picture. Even if you think of CDs, right? Audio was distributed digitally before video was distributed digitally because of file sizes. CDs to DVDs had, a, had more than a 10-year gap. So what we think is going to happen, which is really cool, is we're going to see a rapid adoption of audio to cloud technologies directly in the audio recorders themselves. And over the next two years, you'll see every audio manufacturer will have a cloud integration with Frame.io, and they'll be publishing those audio assets right to the cloud. So even if you want a local copy on a internal drive, you really have that as the backup. And the hero audio is now already backed up in the cloud and confirmed. And that is going to be the trend. Over the next 10 years, we'll see that trend also develop into video because the video files are bigger. So it's harder to do those transmissions, which is why today we're using the cube to make proxy files. So you're shooting audio, you're shooting video, you're sending those files to Frame.io. What goes to Frame.io are the proxy video files, right? Can you talk about what's the payload and what are we sending? Yeah, that's a great question because a lot of people will say, what if I'm, I'm not online? I don't have internet. What, what is the case to doing this? Well, the cube is capturing a little tiny proxy file. Basically, the quality files you would get on YouTube are H.264 files. They're either HD or UHD. And they're somewhere between, let's say, two megabits per second and maybe six megabits per second. So that's what the cube does. You set it between two megs and six megs. I'm shooting this at about four. And it's sort of like a a YouTube video in a way, but it gets the file name from the camera, it gets the time code from the camera, and it gets the triggering from the camera when you hit record and stop. And so this proxy file is essentially a little tiny version of the original camera file that's instantly uploaded. When you do a transcode, if you shoot on a camera and you transcode those files, well, this is sort of like doing the transcode for you automatically while you're shooting it, and then it's publishing that transcode to Premiere or Final Cut or Resolve through Frame.io so that your editor or your review people can just see it. We even have people taking these files and transcribing them right away because once it's in Frame.io, you can send it to a company like Rev.com and instantly have your interview transcribed and you didn't have to download anything, upload anything. You didn't have to transcode yourself. It's already done and ready. These are the types of step skippers that are so efficient and so speedy that it's just going to become rapidly adoptive because people can see the instant return of the speed delivered uh, with Camera to Cloud. Now, the Cube has an SD card in it, right? So you're still able to keep all of your original files. That's right. So you have your original. That's right. The Cube will record on board. And so let's say you have a weak internet connection, a poor internet connection. So you would, you would want to be using an LTE hotspot. You can actually use your phone as a hotspot if that's all you had. But the market has hotspots from 
$150 to $10,000. These are all different sizes of hotspots. And if you want a more powerful hotspot, it really comes down to the quality of the antenna. I think that's an important data point. If you're gonna do a lot of field camera to cloud or audio to cloud, the hotspot is useful. It's, it's certainly a, a component, but the antenna is almost more important than the hotspot. So a good quality hotspot is good, but if it has poor antennas, then it's not gonna really be very useful. Your phone has a pretty average to low quality antenna because the antenna is sort of wrapped around the edge of the phone and it works for a phone call, but you know calls drop and you know that sometimes you have buffering problems and things like that. That may not be the network that's struggling. It may be the lack of antenna. So investing in a good antenna system, a company like Peplink makes modems and antennas that are, are really uh, strong, more industrial level. That's a really good investment. And the cube is recording onto itself. And so it's connected uh, wirelessly to that uplink, that LTE hotspot or 5G hotspot as those become more prevalent. And if the network is poor, it'll just save it on the cube and it will push it slower or in the background or it'll push it later when the network becomes available. So you don't actually have to have a network to shoot, but most people shooting in most areas will have some form of a network connection. And if you don't, it'll record to the cube and it will publish as soon as you do have that network connection. I had a, a feature shooting in Mississippi in February and when they were in some areas of the swamps, there was no network. And when they got back to the hotel, they turned the cube on and the cube used hotel internet and just published all the clips. And so they still watched everything on the same day, automatically delivered and transcoded, but they just had to wait till they had an internet connection and the cube published those files through the SD card later in the day. Well, that's awesome news for people like me who do a lot of work in the field. I mean, you can't use a hotspot in the middle of the Amazon. There's nothing to connect. Today, you can't. But remember, satellite technology for LTE and 5G is now coming online. And Starlink and things like that are now opportunities where we won't use local towers all the time in order to do telecommunications. Today, we know that in the broadcast world, satellite technology is used to move signals around. But in the consumer world, we've relied heavily on Wi-Fi or LTE, which is tower-based or local-based. That's gonna change. And so it means eventually the entire globe will be online, even in the Amazon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even in when I got back to Lima in Peru, the internet was so bad there that I was trying to upload and download and I was getting disconnected all the time. And it was so slow. So this is good news. I love that we can use this technology and not have to depend on the internet. So we've got the camera hooked up via the cube. We have audio hooked up. We're shooting. We have original files that are staying with us locally. We're sending everything to Frame.io, and then what happens? How does the DIT feel about all of this? Well, DITs are still serving a really important component in two capacities. One, DITs do a lot of color correction. And so if you wanna really polish a look, you wanna verify a look, you wanna collaborate with the cinematographer, this is an important role that is not at all impacted by camera to cloud. We're simply taking the DIT's look and we're allowing it to be distributed sooner but it's still their look because you can pass the camera into the DIT's system and then pass the DIT's look into the cube. So just put the cube at the end of the chain. The other capacity they serve is downloading the original camera files, OCF. OCF cannot be delivered to the cloud yet because we just said LTE and satellite technology is still too low bandwidth for original camera files or RAW files. 
even ProRes or Avid DNX or RAW files like Blackmagic RAW or RedCode or Airy RAW, those files are so big that you could never upload them over a hotspot today. But that will change over the next decade. But today, a DIT managing the raw data and managing the color are two key aspects that still need to happen on set. All we're doing is speeding up the collaboration process with proxies so that people downstream of the set, you know, in post, any other area that needs to be in, introduced to it, they could just start doing their job sooner. So it's not a job elimination technology. It's a job acceleration technology. I think anyone that wants to be successful really needs to learn this new technology. Why am I flashing back to years ago when you first introduced uh, near-set dailies? Remember that? I don't know why I'm thinking about that. For some reason, I'm visualizing it. Totally off topic. It's not off topic because near-set dailies, a friend of mine, Laura Persley, said when she saw the announcement, she said, wow, Michael, this is something you've been working on for 10 years. And she's right. This has been some of my life's work because for a decade, I've simply hated this gap between production and post. It just doesn't make sense. It's so frustrating. And if you think about it, when we shot on film, we transitioned to digital, but the turnaround times didn't get dramatically faster. Digital sort of promised everything will happen faster, but it didn't. The time it takes to take film and telecine it and put it to, at that time, videotape and then digitize it wasn't that much different from shooting on videotape and even shooting on files and downloading it and transcoding it and sending it to editorial. It was still the next day. That word dailies was still a day with film and video. What Camera Cloud does is it finally eliminates days. It makes it virtually instant, even an hour long take and the field can be available in under five minutes for everyone to start working with. That is what I've been trying to be after because I found as an entrepreneur in the post-production industry, all of these people are just waiting for media from the set. A huge group of people on big productions, it's this army of people just waiting for stuff from the set. And if you're waiting for something, think about that act of waiting. Waiting in humans creates anxiety, right? If you're waiting in line at Disneyland, it's dangerous because you don't want to be waiting. If you're waiting for cookies in the oven, you don't want to wait for those either, right? You don't want to wait for someone to respond to you when you have an important email that you need a response to. Waiting is an anxious problem. And so when you have something as precious as footage being shot on a production, waiting for that to be looked at, reviewed, QC'd, edited, changed, manipulated, collaborated with, that is a period of anxiety that needs to go away. That's been my mission. Moving things on set for dailies, which we did at Light Iron, actually started that at Plaster City even before that. When we started these processes, it was all about reducing the anxiety by increasing the collaboration and decreasing the time it takes for things to happen. So we pioneered moving dailies to the set, which helped relieve some anxiety. This is the holy grail approach of that. We wanted to simply relieve all the anxiety by making it instantaneous. And we're finally at the precipice of the true way Camera to Cloud should be working. I'm an OCD when it comes to workflow. I just find that the more you can be organized, the better it is on the other end, the more the whole team works with each other in sync. So it's waiting, and I've seen how fast this moves into Frame.io, and I love it. The other thing is finding things. So let's talk about naming conventions for a moment. And 
there's another aspect to this is that your audio files are going to be slightly longer in time than the camera files. So how do they sync up? Time code? Yeah, and, and that's actually a good point. The naming convention comment is actually really a good point because you, when you're recording a proxy, that proxy needs to be named the same file name as the camera. So the camera has a file name, a clip name, and you want the proxy to have the same name. Now that name is really great when you're running a database, but it's really hard to search because you don't know where anything is by the camera file name. Now in professional audio, and if you don't do it this way, I highly recommend it. These audio systems like sound devices, and there are others, but you can name your files the scene and take or the name of the interviewee and the take version, right? And so you name the file real quickly. You can do that before it's rolling. You can even do that after it's rolling. And the idea is the file name of the sound asset is the file name of the asset. It becomes the indicator of the asset. Like let's say scene 12, take one. That is the audio name. Now scene 12, take one in audio might be A003, C001 in video. Well, how is a director or anyone going to search A003? I'm looking for scene 12. Well, what Frame.io does is when you jam your audio, which means you're taking a jam cable and you're jamming the audio into the camera, you actually make the camera and the audio have the same time code. And that cable only needs to be there for a moment, but companies make little locket boxes. If you haven't invested in locket boxes, then you really should because it'll really, really speed up your world because it'll automate a lot of this. And what happens is you record your sound, doesn't matter if you start first or second, you record your picture, doesn't matter if you start record first or second, and then the audio and the video assets independently publish into Frame.io, and then Frame.io analyzes the timecode, and it finds where they overlap, and then it will stitch them together and create a third asset, which we call a title asset. So now imagine in the cloud you see audio, video, and then you see AV, and AV is an audio and video together, and now it's created a new asset, and that AV asset is now called Scene 12 Take 1. So if you shoot for several days or several weeks or several months, you can start searching by scene, and it will present you a mixed, muxed, synced AV asset which you can search by scene, and nobody had to do anything. It's all there automatically, and you don't have to be manually doing that. Now in post-production, you still should sync the audio yourself because you wanna have separate audio and sound for your conform process. But when you're reviewing things in the cloud, we're doing that step for you, which can save a day or more in just waiting to review assets. Yeah, at least. And for client approvals and interacting with your studio executives, this is awesome. So the time code will match, the metadata will match, the naming convention is simple. You've eliminated the possibility of human error, which is a big part of it. You know, when you have a large crew, sometimes people forget they're tired, they've been working long hours. This is awesome. So how many tracks of audio can be embedded in the field that goes out? Uh, today, we handle eight with no problem. I think right now, eight is the limit. I honestly can't remember if it's eight or 16 right now, but eight tracks is supported, which satisfies 98% of audio recording in the field. And so if you needed more than eight microphones, I think we may support 16. But for most people, eight channels or fewer is going to satisfy. Now, that doesn't mean you can't use Camera to Cloud. It means you can only get the first eight channels to the cloud. Let's say you're recording 16 channels of audio. 
Well, the way to monitor that is a stereo mix down. And what field mixers will do is they will take all the audio and they will produce a rough mix so that directors and people can actually hear a stereo mix of what's going on. So if you have more than eight or 16 channels, you can simply provide the stereo mix to frame IO, which is a choice in a sound devices, eight series recorder. And then you're hearing the composite mix, which is ideal because now you don't have to hear the phasing or the interference with eight channels and keep track of who's where the sound mixer does a rough mix in the field that gets transmitted. So even if you had 32 channels and you're recording like a lot of musical instruments, you would still have a stereo rough mix and you could simply listen to the rough mix, which is probably honestly what you want to listen to if you're doing a quick review anyway. Absolutely. So what about multi-cam clips? Does it work with that yet? Absolutely. And so a cube, a Teradek cube is a single channel device. And that means it has one input. And so if you have one camera, you need one cube. If you have three cameras, you need three cubes. They're just one to one. You can run the cubes directly on the camera or you could put them in a video village and you can wirelessly transmit to them through Teradek bolts or you could run cables if you wanted to, but you have one cube per camera. Each of those cubes has a serial number when it's authenticated in Frame.io. You use the Frame.io iOS app and you authenticate the cube to your Frame.io account. But once it's authenticated, you can change the name of that device. So you could change the name to A camera, B camera, C camera. Then when you're in Frame.io, Every time A and B and C camera are rolled, you'll see a video folder and inside of that video folder, it'll say ABC and that's where your assets live. So they will always self-organize and publish to the directories they're supposed to go to to keep things super organized. And if you have one audio recording and three cameras, it will sync the audio three times and in that AV sync directory, those title assets we just talked about, it will mux the same audio to all three cameras so that you can search scene 12 and you can see here's A cam scene 12, B cam scene 12 and C cam scene 12. And that's an easy way to have that automatic syncing process with multicam work in the background. Oh my God. <laughs> I feel like a fangirl right now. I am so excited by this. But that also reminds me, talk about authorization and talk about security. And, you know, because a lot of our clients get very, very nervous when anything leaves the traditional editing room. I can think of a couple of studios in particular that just don't want anything out of those rooms. What can we say to them to reassure them that this is secure? Well, everybody's different. Everybody has different pain tolerances. And you're making a good point of where do people feel safe, right? And it's hard to tell someone who doesn't feel safe, just feel good, feel safe. It's like, uh, that's not enough, right? So they have to learn it. But again, we can look at history to teach us this. When film switched to tape, there were people that were so afraid of the tape because they were taught, there was so much doctrine around film lasts forever. And so they didn't like the idea of tape. So a lot of people when digital tape came out said, we don't want to use this technology because film lasts longer. But guess what? They got over it. And there are ways to make sure that tape lasts too. But there was a transition period for those people. When videotape started to give way to files, people were afraid of getting off tape because they said, well, I have a tape I could put on a shelf and I don't like this file and I don't trust hard drives. And guess what? They got over that too. And they started being able to trust that process. But there was a transition period. In fact, in that transition period, 
for those of you that are really remember this process, when people started shooting on videotape, we used to master films on videotape, like HD cam or HD cam SR tape. And then the studios would take that tape and they would film it out to film for archiving. They would back it out to film. So the, the archive, the master was on film, even though we had finished and delivered a videotape. Ironically, the inverse of that happened when files. When RED cameras came out, I was part of the early RED adopters and deployments in 2007. When we started doing that, the first shows we did, they made us take the RED camera files, which were on a CF card, and load those onto tape. So we would get paid to make tapes of RED files because people were afraid of trusting hard drives. Eventually, that went away. Well, the same process is with the cloud. People may be afraid of it, but that's because we're in this transition period where they're used to things on hard drives and the cloud is just really a hard drive. But here's what I would tell them. You asked Serena, well, what should we tell those people? Well, there is one thing that everyone in the world, especially in including people that work in production, covet more than their own pictures that they shoot. And that's their money. You covet your money more than anything. And money, all of it, not most of it, not some of it, not kind of, sort of, not Monday, Wednesday, Friday, all money is managed in the cloud. All your credit card management is cloud-based. And it has been for decades. And if the industry around the world's money and your bank that you use is all in the cloud, we're simply adopting the same standards that the banking industry set decades ago for security to make sure that your stuff isn't stolen. Now, when people say, but I've heard of identity theft. Well, identity theft is actually stealing the element to get in. That's stealing the keys to get into your account. That's not actually stealing and breaking down the account system in itself. People find ways to get in. Same with the cloud with video. If you give someone your password or someone cracks your password, that's a different issue, right? But the approach of things being safe and secure in the cloud, the top of the line of that is money. And if we can trust our money in our banks in the cloud, then we can apply those same principles to trust our video and our audio in the cloud. And again, that may be unfamiliar territory that might create anxiety, but over time that will go away and people will learn to just trust everything and they'll learn to manage passwords better than they do. People today are pretty bad with that. Frame.io has a technique where we have a type of link that's called a private link where not only can you not get into that project if you're not invited into it, but if you share a link, that link will not work unless that person has a Frame.io account in your team. So it's like, if you had a, a link that was given to you, password protected, you could still like give someone the link and pass it on. But in Frame.io private mode, that link will not work unless they authenticate through your team with a Frame.io login, which means you would know them because all of a sudden you have their name and password. We can also use session-based watermarks that actually burns into the picture your name, your IP address, your email address, and the date and time you're looking at it. And that becomes burned into the picture and you can even have it travel. So it doesn't just burn in a corner, it moves across the screen. So if you're really hyper secure, it's gonna travel across the screen. So these are additional layers of security that we put into this. So whether it's camera to cloud or it's a color corrected master, Frame.io's level of private security gives you the ability to govern who's allowed to get in, who's allowed to see things. And that's why we don't have breaches that come through the system. It's designed to be intentionally very restrictive. 
And when you set up the stream, don't you have to authorize it to the recipients? You can actually put an end time on that. You can say, okay, the shoot's going to last for two days. I'm going to authorize this to be seen by the editors in L.A. or wherever they are or Australia. And then it goes away. Am I right about that? How does that work? That's absolutely right. Thanks for reminding me. Because once you authenticate an appliance like a Cube or a Sound Devices 888, when you authenticate that appliance, that appliance might be rented. Right? So you've now just given the keys to that device to publish into your account. That's a one-way relationship. So that device can only publish into Frame.io. It can't pull anything out. But even so, that device could be rented. So what we have is a expiration date. So the user can be anywhere in the world. You can be an administrator. You do not have to be on the set. The administrator can actually pause all devices from anywhere in the world or it can delete devices from anywhere in the world, or it can self-expire devices anywhere in the world. So if you know you're renting a device and your shoot is for five days, on the sixth day, you can set up when you initially authenticate it, I want you to self-terminate on day six. And those appliances will delete themselves from your project and no one else will be able to re-authenticate them because the authentication process is only open for 120 seconds. You only have two minutes to go through the authentication process, which is a code, sort of like syncing your phone to a rental car. You get that code. And once that code is closed, that device is synced to that account and you can never re-sync it to that account without a new device authorization grant. And as we said, you can terminate when that period ends. So it's a very restrictive by design process. It's very easy. I mean, it takes less than 20 seconds to authenticate a device to the cloud. And once that grant is issued, that device will shoot to the project or record audio to the project. And then it never will ever again once you terminate that. That's awesome. That feels really good. Frame.io transfer works really fast. How's that possible? I mean, it just seems like you guys are on high octane over there or something. I've got a one gig connection here. Obviously, COVID, thank you very much. There's built a studio in the house, but I do have a one gig connection. But even so, the other services like the D word, Dropbox, it just takes forever. How does Frame.io work so quick? Thank you for the compliment. The Frame.io transfer team is an exceptional group of people. And uh, Frame.io transfer was born out of Thomas Zabo, who basically started building this uh, rapid speed upload and download tool. And it came out summer of 2020, and now it's getting rapidly adopted. If you are not sure about signing up for Frame.io, what Serena just said is the best reason. A Frame.io account will give you access to Frame.io Transfer, which is a Mac and Windows hyper upload and download tool. It is so good that it becomes sort of the anchor for why a lot of people actually get into the Frame.io community because they really struggle with uploads and downloads. The reason we're able to do it so fast is truly optimization. Other companies that have to transfer data may not know what type of data they're being asked to transfer. And since a lot of the world is moving documents, documents are moving disproportionately more than video. Video is the minority of assets that are moving. We know video is huge, but if you're a company and you have to move a lot of assets, they're probably small in nature. Most assets in the world are tiny. And so when it comes to frame out transfer, the optimization is for this community. The people that you and I know, Serena, are the people that want to have a system designed for big files. And that's not what the other tools are designed to do. They're just designed to move 
files, right? And we have really been specific about what types of files we wanna optimize for, how we're chunking those files, how we're moving them, and then how mean or let's say grabby we are with your internet connection. And by that I mean, when you deploy FrameIO Transfer and you're uploading a big file, if someone else in your house is playing Xbox or they're trying to watch Netflix, they're gonna get pissed because FrameIO Transfer is designed to grab and hog as much of the network as possible because it's assuming this is a professional application. You have a professional need to leverage all the network available. And so FrameIO will grab network away from other devices. These other uploading and downloading tools don't necessarily do that. They try to play nice and play fair and they don't over overtake your network. Frame out transfer is a hog, but that's what pros want, right? You want your network to be deployed for a professional action of moving a high quality file. And once those assets are moving, you can start a chain of transfers, you can change the orientation of them in the middle of the transfer. So if a priority changes between several assets in progress, I can actually just drag and drop one to the top of the queue while it's going and it'll favor that one over the others. Little tricks like that are where the optimization for pros exist in the transfer world. And this group of people that is listening, this is who we're trying to market to. This is who we're innovating for. We're not just trying to be a tool for everyone on the planet. We're for professional video and audio collaborators. And those people have different needs. And the other tools that move assets around in the world, they have to serve many masters. Maybe in our advantage, we only have to serve one master, which is the pro audio video community. And so we're able to tailor our tech directly for you. Remember when we were saying 4K files are going to be too big? <laughs> Not anymore. Oh my God. I like that Frame.io transfers the big kahuna. It says, move over. I'm in the house. I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. Talk to me about Colorfront and what Colorfront is doing in conjunction with what you have there. So for anyone that doesn't know Colorfront, Colorfront is uh, basically the world's best transcoding program. It's just an incredible group of uh, engineers from Hungary that have really dialed in how efficient transcoding can be. Now, if you're a person that tends to shoot files and just drag them right into Premiere, Final Cut, or Resolve, and just work with them, or, or even Avid, if you just work with them natively, you have no need for Colorfront. But if you find yourself constantly transcoding files and making versions of them, you're probably using Adobe Media Encoder or Resolve to do these transcodes. The problem with those tools is they are also single channel transcodes. So you set up things and it outputs a version. Then you set up new things and it outputs a version. What Colorfront can do is it can do multiple versions of a source and transcode them in multiple ways concurrently. So it will grab your GPU acceleration and it will make a 4K, a 1080, and an H.264, and a ProRes, and an Avid, and it will do with window burn, without, clean and dirty, with color, without. It'll do it with matting, uh, masking, or without matting or masking. It can set all these up macroly, so you can build a macro of what are the four outputs, for example, that I need to generate, and you can set everything up in your project and then push them all out at once. So it's a massive time saver because if you find yourself making transcodes and they are basically kind of a ubiquitous transcode that's trying to serve three different masters, that is not ideal. Colorfront allows you to do all of those and make custom outputs at the same time. I mean, and it'll be faster because their acceleration is basically best in class. 
The Frame.io integration now allows you to upload files into Frame.io, either camera to cloud or just from Frame.io transfer, and Colorfront can now read Frame.io natively in the cloud. What that means is you no longer have to localize your assets to transcode them. So imagine you push things into the Frame.io cloud when you want to transcode and change them and add color and window burn and watermark and versions and make DPX files or EXR files or DNX files or ProRes files or HEVC files. You can do that cloud to cloud. So once it's in Frame.io and it's in Colorfront, the tool we use is called Express Dailies. Express is rendering cloud to cloud. So you're rendering at 3000 megabits per second because you don't have to download the assets or upload them it's cloud to cloud. So you can not only transcode and replicate these files super quickly, you don't ever have to have them on a local disk. So you don't have to take up space, you don't have to take up upload time or download time. Colorfront is the first cloud dailies rendering tool. Once you start seeing the opportunities for that, you start to really see how workflow can change dramatically and how disconnected you can be from local storage because it's a release. If you're not limited, I would say limited is a spare word. If you're not limited by a local disk, all of a sudden you have freedom to work anywhere. So you can have your dailies people working wherever they wanna work and they don't need disks, they don't even need access to the footage, it's also more secure because they don't have a copy of the footage because it's hard to keep track of who has copies of stuff. Well, when they're downloading, then you have a copy now. In Colorfront Express Cloud, you can just have Frame.io Cloud, Colorfront Cloud, render to the cloud, and there's not another copy of your assets. So it's a very new way of workflow, very, very powerful. My friends are gonna be laughing at me because you have managed to convert me. <laughs> I have for years said, I don't believe in the cloud, don't talk to me about the cloud, it's too slow, we don't have the pipeline, I don't trust it. Oh, Michael, <laughs> I'm changing my mind. I mean, that's all true though. Everything you just said was true to a point. Yeah, in the old days. And people used to say, you'll never get a reputable DP to ever shoot on a digital camera. Well. There was a time where that was accurate, but over time that obviously changed. And so when you make a statement like, don't talk to me about the cloud or don't talk to me about this or that technology, that may be accurate in a period of time, but it's thanks to innovators and creatives and engineers and all these people working together that these things evolve. And like I mentioned at the top of the program, LTE, 5G, Amazon Web Services, Wi-Fi, Fiber, you know, Fios, things like that. These are all evolutions that had to be foundationally improved before the cloud really started to get into the professional sector in the way we're using it today. COVID simply became the catalyst that accelerated a lot of technology development. So the last 12 months probably saw more technological deployments and rapid developments than I would say at least in 20 years for digital technological change. And so this is another outside force acting in on the professional world. And that ultimately at the end of the day, as sad and difficult as COVID has been, there's going to be a bright side to the story. And I think we're starting to see that story emerge right now. Absolutely. I just have a couple of quick questions and I know I'm going to need to let you go because we've been talking for a while. What about versioning? I always worry when somebody alters a file. So say your editor gets a file and he alters it or does something to somehow change either the metadata or just any aspect of the media. How do you handle the title, the name of the file, or how do you handle versioning? 
Well, the number one thing is to understand the difference between a file name and a real ID, or also known as clip name or clip ID. You usually don't see the clip ID or real name or clip name. You usually just see file name, you know, that file that you see. And if you've ever been in Premiere or Final Cut or Avid or Resolve, you notice that when you bring a clip into like a media pool or, or a bin, you could change the name there to whatever you want, but you realize it doesn't change the actual file on the desktop. That's because you're actually just changing the metadata inside the app. You're not changing the clip name or the clip ID or real ID. Sometimes that's also known as tape name. For those of you that look into the metadata of these files, you'll also see a column called tape name. Different companies use different syntax for that. But essentially what it means is in Frame.io, you really don't need to change any names. You, you really shouldn't need to change names. The metadata inside is where you get it into a nonlinear editor, and then you can change things whatever you want because you're not really altering the tape name or real ID, and that's what a conform or relinking process is actually looking at. It's, it's often, when you do a conform, it's looking for the clip name or the real ID or the tape name. If you're doing a relink, a relink is gonna use the file name. That's the name you can see. That's why you don't wanna change that name because a relinking process is gonna look at that. A conform is gonna look deeper into the metadata. Basically what I just described is a little bit of an antiquated leftover technique from videotape and broadcast and onlining and things like that. What would be great is that if relinking systems also allowed you to relink by clip name. And you can learn that some tools allow you to do that. It's not as obvious. You have to dig a little deeper. Resolve has a panel where you can relink by a virtue of different aspects. And so if your file name is changed for some reason, you're not necessarily screwed. You can relink by other ways. But not everybody has explored those ways. So obviously best practices is don't change the file name. But if you do, understand there are other things at play that allow you to get back to the original real ID or tape name. We actually produced a series called Frame.io Camera Cloud Training Series. It's out in the month of April going forward. So if it's past then, you can see it now. There's an introduction to post-production, which I think is episode four or five. And this really starts to go into the clip name, tape name, real ID, file name explanation. So you should learn about that if it's unfamiliar, because in Camera Cloud, this is a totally new workflow and it will require you to have a little bit more experience with things like that because you're gonna do more relinking than you've ever done and you're doing it in a way you probably haven't done it before. So there are some things you have to learn in order to figure that stuff out. We built a training series and we show you how to relink in Avid, Premiere, Final Cut, and Resolve and we teach you how to conform in those with Camera Cloud files so that you have a roadmap on how you can make it work in your space. Well, we'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes. Before we go, I just want you to kind of look into your crystal ball and tell us where you think post-production's going in the future. What's the post house going to look like 10 years from now? That's a really fun question. I love looking into the future. So the first thing with the future is everything is going to be captured to the cloud. And as unfamiliar today or as maybe bizarre it would look to see a videotape. Think of like a mini DV tape today or an HDV tape or a DVC pro tape or DV cam. If someone showed up with a DV cam camera today, you would probably be like, that's what we're shooting on. Cause that tape cassette thing seems odd. Even in audio, think of DAT tapes or DA88 tapes. That would seem really odd if someone showed up with something that recorded that way. It still works, but it would be kind of odd. 
the thing that I'm getting at is that 10 years from now, cameras that have magazines, SD cards and, and CF cards and CFS cards that you shoot on, it's going to be as odd in 10 years to have a camera that has a card, a removable media, as it is to see a DAT tape or a DV cam tape. It's gonna be that bizarre in 10 years. Nobody will have removable media on cameras a decade from now. Cameras may have an internal recording so that they have a cache, but they're gonna be designed to transmit everything that they're shooting, including raw files, directly to the cloud. That's how they'll work. So we're gonna see this happen with audio first. And so you'll see fewer and fewer sound people will have SD cards that are removable. Eventually it won't be removable because it won't need to based on both bandwidth and the capacity of these will get so high you won't fill them up. So they'll just be an internal cache. And then video cameras will follow the same suit. So there's going to be a big change in the way we acquire things on the set over the next 10 years. In terms of post-production, that is going to change a lot about utilitarian jobs that the post house provides. So in the post-production world, if you don't know this, I used to own a post-production house. And so I kind of know the secrets of where do we make our money? Where do we make the most money versus where do we not? And where you make your money is sort of like the movie theaters. Where do the movie theaters make their money? Everyone knows it's the popcorn. Concessions. Right? That's right. Except for right now, they don't make money at all. But, you know, concessions is where they get it. They don't make money off the films. They make it off of popcorn. And so, you know, you make a bucket of popcorn. You sell it for like $11. And all of a sudden, you put $10.96 in your pocket, right? So in post-production, the utilitarian jobs are the ones that make the most money. That would be like daily syncing and transcoding and uploading and downloading and making LTO archives. That's where the most money in post-production is. It used to be in dubbing and making copies on videotapes. That was really high output dollars. Where post-production companies don't make money is in DI, in the actual art and process of color correction. It's not that they don't make money there, it's that they make the lowest margin because those happen to be the most expensive processes of post-production because the operators that are involved there are really well compensated. The monitors and the infrastructure for the rooms and projectors and so on that they need are really expensive. And you think about the square footage required. You have a big room, a huge cavity, and you have one person sitting in it. It's tough to ROI that square footage. So what's interesting is the part of post-production that's going to remain valuable to post-production is the creative services component. It's the DI. It's the stuff where you hire creative people to collaborate with you. But that's the part today that doesn't make the most money. Your ROI is not strongest in that section. You make more money in the utilitarian parts. The utilitarian parts of post-production are all going to become virtualized over the next 10 years. Frame.io is doing the first cloud-based automatic audio video syncing. It's not perfect today, but we're taking picture and sound and they're going to the cloud. They're automatically, instantly syncing and presenting themselves to a user. That's never been done before and it's done right now completely without humans. That is the first step of total utilitarian automation. And those are not creative steps, right? Like syncing audio isn't a creative thought. It's like you don't creatively think, how should I sync this audio? It, it doesn't work that way. It's demonstrative. And so the demonstrative parts of post-productions are the elements that people are gonna have to look out for because that's the stuff that the companies like Frame.io and others are going to start to build automations. And then you have AI components that are gonna make it smarter and smarter and smarter. 
And as we know how AI works is the more you plug into it, the more it can get better at uh, the process that it's asked to do. So we're gonna see a lot of utilitarian elements get better and better, more automatic. And if it's automatic, it gets cheaper. If it's cheaper, it scales faster. And it's this cycle, it's this feedback loop that basically makes parts of post-production race to the cloud. Once you see these tipping points start to happen, they all will start to go. Camera to cloud is the very, very beginning of this. This is not an industry standard right now. It is not a post-production house killer. I believe it's the start of a 10-year journey going forward where we will start doing everything virtual. And these things like Colorfront that I talked about, that's a virtualized dailies component. Now, parts of dailies are utilitarian, like syncing or naming files. Parts of them are creative, like applying color correction and you know tweaking. But those parts of the process are gonna see a little bit of AI integration. And maybe for dailies, AI color correction is satisfactory. I think for a lot of people, that will certainly be enough. And AI color correction is gonna be really cheap because it scales and scalable things are less expensive. So this is where post-production is gonna to have to evolve again. 15 years ago, the post house was faced with the digital revolution and most of them were anchored in film. And film was a very, very lucrative element of the post-production industry. When it went away, they had to make massive changes in order to stay relevant. Some post houses never made it through the digital transition. Many of them died in 2007, eight, nine, and 10. We probably saw the largest percentage of post-production closers in Los Angeles, maybe in history, huge percentages. I was at all the auctions of those houses and I bought their gear because they had good gear, but they didn't have any business and their models changed underneath them. The recession had something to do with that too. But many people grew out of that and built new infrastructure. Some of them pivoted and survived and thrived in the digital world. Now, this is not the digital world we're going into. It's the cloud world. It's a new era. The film era, analog era, digital era, and now the cloud era. Don't think of the cloud as just a offshoot of the digital era. Because even though the files are encoded digitally, the way we interact with them is not at all familiar to traditional digital interactions. Most digital interactions are local media, local hard drives, local SANs, local deliveries. There's a lot of physical present interactions in the digital space. The cloud makes it omnipresent and therefore there are fewer interactions in a physical form, it's virtual. And as you see that virtual take off, you will see major changes in infrastructure and automation and the post-production community is going to have to respond. They will still be relevant in the future. I will never bet against post-production, but I will bet against antiquated models always. And so a today's model is going to become antiquated, just like yesterday's model became antiquated and the model before that became antiquated and people that didn't get on digital audio. I was friends with a mixer who refused to do digital audio and he said analog's better and he had a book the size of Moby Dick proving that out, but it didn't matter. Even if he was right, it didn't matter because the trend tipped and digital audio put him out of business. And if you go back a hundred years, when sound hit pictures, there were people that said the audiences can't handle picture and sound or the theaters will never retrofit their stuff to add speakers. And some theater owners and chains said, we're never gonna add audio to our theaters. And they went out of business too. Some of them thrived, some of them died. And so it's all about antiquated modeling that has to constantly be evolving and the cloud will change everything. If your business is in business and it's not deploying the cloud or not leaning on it, you will not survive. The cloud will change every single business on the planet, every single one. There is not a business that the cloud will not touch 
or completely reinvent. And so if your business is not centered around the cloud today, you have two choices, get on it now or get on it later. But you don't have a choice to not get on it. That's a choice for extinction. So I, I guess that is a third choice. Some people choose door number three, but door number one is get on it now. Door number two is get on it later. Door number three is wait and see what happens. You don't wanna be last to the party. This is a transition that you wanna get proficient at sooner than later because it will help you see the scope of the market and maybe you can thrive too. I think we are sitting on a milestone in technological history. I'm going to call you 10 years from now, and we're going to reminisce about today. I'm in. <laughs> and there will be a lot of news. So where do people go? Where do you want them to go to learn more about Frame.io, Camera to Cloud, Michael Cioni? Where do they go? Well, you know, I'm easy to find on the internet. You're always welcome to reach out. Also, you know, people can email me. My email is michael at frame.io. Frame.io is an easy URL to remember. And the camera cloud information is frame.io slash C2C, C number two C. So it's very easy to find Camera Cloud and get information about it. We are publishing a lot of documentation. There are support documentations. There's videos, there's training, there's testimonials because we are trying to light a fire to an entirely new workflow paradigm. This isn't a feature, it's a paradigm. This is a completely new way of all workflow and it just starts with Camera to Cloud. And so we need everyone to feel that there are resources to learn. If this sounds cool, but it's unfamiliar, congratulations, you're normal because this is new and unfamiliar. And we're figuring it out. I think I said, we're building the bridge that we're standing on, but that's kind of my style. I like that. I like living on the edge, but we are engaged with the community, getting your feedback and then providing that feedback as much in support documentation so that you can learn and prepare how to make a Camera to Cloud workflow ideal for the way that you prefer to work. Thank you so much for being with us. That's Michael Cioni. I'm Serena Catania, and I'm about to sign off. But before I go, remember what I always tell you guys, get up off your chairs and go do something wonderful today. And actually, Michael brought something to mind. If you are of a mind to do it, you can go on Fandango, you can search for a movie, and you can actually go to the theater. At least I can here in San Diego. I know there are many cities that are doing it now across the country. Try to see them in a theater. It really makes a difference out of respect to the filmmakers and the teams that put those movies together. And let's support our theaters and hope they stay in business. Michael, thank you for being with us. I'm signing off. We'll talk again very soon. <laughs>